Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate, and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. Hello and welcome. I'm Amanda Farmer and I have with me today Rena Van Alst from Strata Central. Hey there, Rena. Hi Amanda, how are you? I am okay. I'm I'm saying okay. I don't usually say okay. I usually say I'm great. And mm. I'm loving my week in Strata. Look like everybody else in New South Wales. I am locked down and dealing with all that flows from that, including homeschooling. So I am on some days in homeschooling hell, as, <laughs> as I said to one of my colleagues this week. Fascinatingly, I've just heard from Rochelle, who helps us out here in the background. Many of our listeners will have heard Rochelle's name. Rochelle is in the Philippines and Rochelle is also homeschooling. And she's just told me, Rena, that their school in the Philippines has a requirement that if you are homeschooling, you must also at the same time do some marriage counselling. <laughs> I love it. That makes perfect sense to me, Rochelle, who I know is listening in. It makes perfect sense that successful homeschooling goes hand in hand with a successful marriage or the other way around, perhaps. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think um, in the pandemic, Amanda, I'm not sure if you've been watching the 7.30 report, they had a series at the moment called Why Women Are Angry or Words to That Effect. And they were saying that during the pandemic, women's workload and share of the home duties has increased so dramatically in addition to the fact that they are working from home as well as homeschooling and taking care of all the other things that comes with being at home and including the intellectual part of it, which is like planning, thinking, organizing, making sure that things are happening at the right times, the right food is there and shopping is done on time. And yeah, so I think unfortunately Mm. at the moment, the marriage counseling is definitely um, needed, I think, for many people to try and help them navigate these um, times where you've got to be all things to all people, including clients. I must say, um, I was speaking to one of my colleagues as well who's a strata manager and he said to me that in his company everyone's pretty much at breaking point at the moment in terms of the Mm. workload and I think the ability also for some people to work and manage other people remotely is also a challenge because some people work really well when they're working from home or on their own or autonomously some people actually especially extroverts I was told by one of my clients actually that he said it's like opposite of a U-shape. At the beginning, they sort of are happy with the fact that they've got the flexibility, they can go for walks. But then after a while, they start to deteriorate. And I think some people are noticing that with their team members where at the beginning it was all a bit of a novelty and now mm. over time and as it's sort of prolonged, it's becoming far more um, damaging to people's mental health and their ability to work. I think, as you said, the homeschooling or the other factors that come into it that normally you don't have to worry about when you're trying to do your job. Yeah, it's a really difficult time for everybody at the moment. And I do think we are seeing things get worse before they get better, but Mm. they will get better. Mm. I do firmly believe that. And I do want to make clear, just in case my husband is listening, he doesn't listen, but just in case he is, (laughs) uh, you're actually doing a great job. I must say, my husband is doing the same. He does all the house duties, all the shopping. My dinner's made every night. (laughs) I don't have anything to complain about. Fantastic. And look, hats off to all of the partners, wives, husbands, parents, whoever you are out there. 
putting in the extra mile so we in the strata world can keep serving our clients and keep solving these problems, which we know we're going to get into, we couldn't do it without you. There you go. Share your challenge with me this week, Rena. So, Amanda, my challenge for this week is a new building that we took over and we received the AGM minutes. We're doing the checking as we do in terms of are there any bylaws that need registering, entering of levies, etc. committee members. And we found a motion on there where the committee election had taken place and the AGM had decided that the number was going to be one more than the people that were elected and nominated at the meeting because that person wasn't at the meeting and then they knew that they wanted to be on the committee and therefore they decided they would just create a vacancy. And so we've taken over, we've just said no, said to them, no, you can't actually do that. You can't have a vacancy unless after the the number has been decided and the people have been elected during the course of the year, if someone decides to sell or resign, then you will have a vacancy, but you can't create a vacancy in anticipation for this owner to join. So now this owner wants to join and I've pretty much said that that can't happen. Um, and I was just wondering, Amanda, if you have any sort of ideas or thoughts on how best to address this because at the time there was a strata manager there at the meeting. So the strata manager didn't tell them that this wasn't possible. And, I mean, they're not relying on the strata manager per se. They're saying that's another reason why we've left. But now we have this problem where no one else wants to resign and we have this person who wasn't able to make the meeting and who did not nominate in writing either, want to join the committee. And I've just said, that obviously, that can't happen. So I was just wondering mm. probably on your thoughts. I know it's in the face of what we're going through at the moment, it's not a major challenge when one thinks about all the other challenges we have in Strata during COVID. But, yeah, what do you mm. think in terms of how the best way would be moving forward to try and address this anomaly? Yeah, interesting one. Now, Rena, you are probably well across the law here because you've said a few times now this is not possible can't do it I imagine you're looking at regulation 9 in our strata schemes management regulation which says that if the number of candidates nominated for election to the committee is the same as or fewer than the number of members decided on so the number that the owners corporation at the general meeting have decided will be the number on their committee, then those candidates nominated are declared by the chairperson to be and are taken to have been elected as the strata committee. So I agree with you, it is not possible to elect a strata committee that then leaves a vacancy at the end of the general meeting. Your committee is as elected on the night. So first step, I imagine this new committee that's wanting to fill this vacancy, you've told them that's the law, they're aware that that is in fact the law. You're not just being difficult because you like to be difficult sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly right, Amanda. And unfortunately, the committee understand that that person couldn't make it and they did their best in their minds to be able to accommodate that other person's request. But it's more now the person that wants to be on that can't be on. Now, we've, I've already said to the other person, you're most welcome to attend the meetings. You can give your thoughts and ideas, but you just don't obviously have a vote. But that person's always been on the committee for many years, apparently. And this is sort of now, I think, more of a perhaps a face-saving issue more than just the fact that they aren't mm. officially a committee member. So... So it is the person who's missed out, they are the ones that are pushing to be on the committee. The other committee members, they can either take it or leave it or they accept your advice that this is not legally possible. Well, they accept my advice. They say, yeah, yeah, like I referred them to the regulation and the act and they understand that this is the law. They were dissatisfied 
with the previous managing agent not bringing that to their attention because had that occurred at the meeting, then we wouldn't be in this situation now um, having even this challenge, discussing this challenge at all even. And um, the other owner who wanted to be on there would have at least been told at the time of the AGM that here are the minutes, obviously you weren't there and therefore you didn't submit a nomination in writing and therefore you weren't able to be elected. How many are on the committee? Five. Is any one of those five willing to resign and give up their place for this person who is so desperate to be on? Yeah, well, I did ask them that question and most of them have said no. One person said, well, I'm happy to, but then again, I turned up to the meeting. I was there on time. The AGM date had been set and communicated beforehand. So, yeah, so at the moment there is one potential person that could be doing it, but they're more sort of doing it to try and perhaps appease that person rather than really wanting to resign. And I'm and I'm hesitant to sort of tell the committee that they should influence mm. that person in any way. But that's yeah, there is only one person that could be amenable to perhaps resigning. Mm. Look, I think you've covered it. Are there my ideas? I, I definitely telling this owner who has missed out that they're welcome to attend committee meetings. That's something that happens in my building. We have a very small committee, but we have a couple of owners who tune in, give their thoughts and help out as needed. They don't have voting rights, but indeed are part of the discussion and their views taken on board in the decision making. Reminding that owner that that's available. But it seems to me that the committee's hands, your hands, Rena, are tied. That is the legislation. It is unfortunate that the committee seems to have been misguided when it came to this election. But if this particular owner wants to be on the committee, I can't see them missing another general meeting or this opportunity. Yeah to be on the committee again. Thank you, Amanda. Yeah, and I think it's good for our listeners out there, especially perhaps the, the schemes that don't have try to managing agents or perhaps the ones that do, um, that you cannot have a vacancy at AGM where the Strata committee is elected. So that's something to remember and mm. just be careful of that one. If someone does try and sort of push that because someone they know is not present, um, yeah, that can't happen. Yep, I like it. Good reminder. I've never known that to come up before, Rena. Yeah. Always something new. Exactly. <laughs> Speaking of something new, actually, my challenge for this week is a novel one as well, at least in my experience. I have been asked by a committee to give my view on proposed minor works that are going to be carried out by an owner. Now, in New South Wales, owners can carry out what we call minor works under Section 110 of our Strata Schemes Management Act if they have an ordinary resolution of the general meeting or if the power to approve minor works has been delegated to the strata committee. If the strata committee says the minor work is fine, then the owner can go ahead. Now our section 110 together with our regulation 28 has a nice long list of what kinds of work constitutes minor works. Included on that list is the installation of hard flooring. Now, this particular example that I was helping a committee member with is an owner who wants to install a mezzanine floor in their apartment. So I imagine this is a loft style, perhaps, and they're looking to extend that loft flooring or install another section that becomes a new mezzanine floor. So it's not actually the installation of hard flooring on a concrete slab that's pre-existing or the lifting of carpet. It is technically the installation of a hard floor, but it's a considerable change to the layout of the apartment. 
Now, this owner has apparently inquired with the local council and the local council has said Mm -hmm. there's no development consent needed. I queried that and suggested that the committee themselves inquire with the council and see if that's right, particularly if the floor space of the apartment is being increased. Because, of course, there are concerns that with additional floor space, there may be additional bedrooms. This is a one-bedroom apartment. Maybe the owner's planning to turn it into two. And, of course, if this can all go through very easily as minor work for this owner, then there'd be plenty of other owners in the complex who would want to do this work. So a few concerns there on the part of the committee. They're saying, Amanda, is this minor work? The owner thinks it is. They say they only need an ordinary resolution. We think it's major. Have you ever come across this kind of renovation before, Rena? No, I've never actually come across someone wanting to create a whole new mezzanine floor. Even when there was no minor renovations um, provisions in the Act, Amanda, even prior to that, I've never had anyone even, that whole concept of adding another floor in that way has never been brought to my attention by any scheme that we've managed. Yeah, it's interesting. I had a look at whether the work may be work involving a structural change. And I came to the conclusion that it was not a structural change. We're not changing the structure of the apartment. As I say that, I'm not sure. What do you think, Rena? Yeah, I think we, but you're adding a structure to the apartment. So in terms of the walls and the load bearing ability of the, I don't know if it's an extension of an existing part of the mezzanine floor, or is it a whole new floor in another section? So I suppose mm. without having all that information, but again, that's why I think we would need probably an engineer's advice, a structural engineer's advice in relation to whether this is a change. And once you understand more about the work, then I think then Amanda, you'll be able to make a more well-informed decision as to whether it is structural or not. Yes, I think that's a very good tip. The question of whether this is a structural change or not could be answered by an engineer. And if it is a structural change, then indeed it is no longer minor work. Section 110 is clear about that. And I would be telling the committee that the owner needs a special resolution and a bylaw to interfere with common property to that extent. Uh, The other thing that I have already raised with the committee is that if there are concerns that this owner and perhaps future owners are intending to add bedrooms together with their new mezzanine floor, then the building would be well-placed to introduce an occupancy limits bylaw, Mm. which restricts occupancy to two adults per bedroom and the bedroom count is based on the original development consent. So even where owners go ahead and add bedrooms, there is still a limit on how many adults can reside in the apartment. So introducing one of those bylaws, fairly quick, smart. I know the committee was pleased with that idea. Yeah, that's a very good idea, Amanda. But just back to the point of the structural versus whether it's not structural, I would equate that to being the same as the removal of of a wall. So in section 110, the removal of a non-load-bearing wall is is permitted. However, if it was a load-bearing wall that required beams, then that would then require a special resolution because it's obviously it is a load-bearing wall and removing that could obviously, you know, affect the whole structure of of the apartment, let alone the floors above and, and below. Yes, the term wall is defined in our act. I'm just looking at it now to see if 
it includes a flaw. It oh, does probably, Yeah, I don't think so. But I think a yeah. manager, that's why I think you need the advice from a structural engineer because even when people say they're removing a non-load-bearing wall, we always want to see a structural engineer certificate to say that. We don't just rely on an owner saying it's a, that it's not a load-bearing or a non-load-bearing wall. The committee always want us to get some evidence from a structural engineer that the wall is indeed non-structural and its removal will not have any impact on the building structure itself. But he's not removing anything in this scenario. He's just adding a floor yeah. in airspace. Yeah, but I think that also could impact the structure in terms of weight. So yes. yeah, yes, and still be a structural change. Yeah, but I mean, I'm, yeah, I mean, I was maybe perhaps my um, example wasn't as um, suitable in, in the terms of adding versus taking away. But I think it's also getting what my point really was was about getting someone who's got the knowledge, such as a structural engineer, to say whether or not this type of addition or removal would have an impact on the structural integrity of the building. Yes. Obviously the committee would not have that knowledge. Yep. I like that. That is exactly what they should do. Thank you very much, Rena Van Alst, for that guidance. Let's move on to your win for this week. Yeah, so I think this is a, a win that I think many occupants and owners in strata schemes would agree with is that the new laws about keeping of pets in strata schemes from the 25th of August so now these laws don't allow owners' corporations to be able just to refuse point blank not to have pets in buildings and there no blanket bans are, are allowed anymore. They can refuse an animal if it unreasonably interferes with another resident's use and enjoyment of their lot or the common property. And again, that's a very subjective particular <laughs> point of the, um, of the legislation. Residents still need approval to keep a pet. And the Owners Corporation can still set unreasonable conditions and guidelines, which I think, Amanda, you've alluded to in some of our previous episodes of this podcast where this legislation is not saying animals can just be on the common property and do whatever they want. The Owners Corporation, through the bylaws, can still stipulate conditions in terms of the management and making sure that the pets do not become problematic in some buildings because... As we all know, you know, when you have one or two, it may not be an issue, but as owners can have more and more pets in buildings, we have come across issues where there's, you know, droppings in the garden, urinating on, on the fake grass and things like that. So, again, <laughs> I know that there are some people out there thinking, oh, no, this is going to open a Pandora's box um, in terms of the quantity of perhaps applications we're now going to receive. But on the other hand, I think that's where you've mentioned before, Amanda, it's important to have really good robust and detailed bylaws that pretty much govern the whole keeping of pets in strata schemes. Mm, yes, I'm glad you've raised this one, Rena. I did speak about the new legislation, section 137B and regulation 36A in podcast episode 276. So if you want the detail of that legislation and how to access copies of it, head back and have a listen to that episode. I'm interested, Rena, that you're raising this one as a win. You and I have talked about pets a few times on the podcast, uh, and I know you're often the devil's advocate to my pro pet strata dweller position letting me yeah. know about some of the poor experiences that your clients and residents have had yeah. with pets uh, so you think this clarity is a good thing for our residents yeah I think it is because at least now like when we tell people they couldn't have pets and all the angst that went with that you know I do mm. understand people's feelings about that but now that it is established that people can have pets then at least we're not having a, an argument on that front. We can say, okay, you can have pets, but it's A, B, C, D, E, and F. So mm. whereas before 
when we had the arguments about no pets. I mean, again, some people have still told me that if someone applies, the answer is no. And I've just said, I'm um, not surprised you're hearing yeah. that. Yep. And, um, but I've just said now that, you know, because at least now this is in the public forum as well, this whole new um, information and, and changes to the Act is now being publicly discussed. So at least, mm. you know, there's now another owner in this building has come now with their lawyer saying, well, you know, we've heard about the new, you know, so I'm trying to say, I still think overall it is a good thing as long as people do the right thing because otherwise there have been a lot of pets in residence I've heard in multiple buildings where they've had blanket bans that have been living you know, like illegally, like you don't get all the benefits, but you know, you gotta hide the animal as you go down the the lift and things like that. So at least now people can be more sort of not as if you know it's a big Pandora's box and everyone can just come out with their animal, but I think people will feel now they can probably apply and yes. be granted consent. You know, so now mm. they're probably, you know, coming to the fact that it's like, you know, being able to get married, so to speak, as opposed to just <laughs> living, living together or I don't know, like whatever. I like <laughs> it. I like that analogy. Very good. Yeah. And all the more reason, as you say, Rena, to be having a look at your pets bylaws, your keeping of animals bylaws, and making sure that you do have that application process clearly set out in the bylaws. What is it that owners who are wanting to keep or do have an animal need to do in terms of notifying the strata committee and what are the reasonable conditions that the strata committee can impose in respect to the keeping of the animal so that if those conditions are not met, then there are consequences, whether that is warnings or directions to remove the animal and definitely have a look at regulation 36A. That's the new supporting regulation for this new legislation that sets out, I think, a good strong list of circumstances that do cause unreasonable interference with other occupants' use and enjoyment of lots and common property. And those are the kinds of examples I think need to be put into your bylaws. Yeah, definitely, Amanda. It's quite prescriptive, actually. Mm. All right. Thank you, Rena, for sharing that one. The win I'd like to share this week relates to the compulsory appointment of a strata manager. I was recently working with an owner who was involved in tribunal proceedings. These proceedings had been commenced by the owner. I wasn't instructed to appear in those proceedings. I was uh, helping this owner from the background with some submissions and some letters that were being sent across to the other side. But it came to my attention that at one of the early directions hearings before the tribunal, the tribunal member had had a look at the material that had been filed by the applicant, my client, and also the material in response from the other side and had said, look, my preliminary view here is that your building is dysfunctional and it's very likely a strata manager will have to be appointed. The applicant had proposed somebody, the respondent had proposed somebody else and the tribunal member said it is simply a matter of having to determine which strata manager it should be. Mm. And the respondent was, as you can expect, concerned that the strata manager proposed by the applicant would not be the right person for the job. Uh, so I suggested a third option strata manager, someone who I called an independent, a neutral strata manager as far as that could be possible. And we ended up settling the case on the basis that both parties agreed that this third option strata manager should be appointed. This is someone who the applicant had never spoken to, the respondent had never spoken to. It was a local strata manager close to the building with a reasonable quote, experienced in compulsory appointments and small schemes. And orders were made by consent appointing the third option strata manager uh, with each side 
least unhappy about that result. <laughs> I like the key word there, Amanda, at least unhappy, which I think is, <laughs> is a very good result because I think uh, most people are never happy with compulsory appointments. Normally the applicants are if they're the ones that are the proponents, but then again, if each person then puts their own manager forward, then that becomes an issue, as you've just mentioned, in terms of the perception of impartiality and et cetera. So that's a really good outcome, mm. actually. That's a fantastic outcome. I'd be, I'd be interested to see perhaps a matter in six months' time if you get to talk to your um, client to see how it's all going and um, hopefully um, mm. it, it will be going much better than it would have been <laughs> or has been in the past. Yes, time will tell. I wanted to bring it to the podcast because sometimes we can become so entrenched in our litigation and our respective positions and not think about cooperative solutions. The tribunal can be helpful in that regard. It is certainly less formal than a court. And I know practitioners, lawyers will be used to appearing before members where the members read the material and actually tells the parties where they think this might go. That would actually be quite improper in a court with a judicial officer forming a view on the evidence before actually hearing the case. But in the tribunal, there is a lot more flexibility for our tribunal members to do that and to give their view, which can be helpful. Sometimes it's frustrating. Sometimes we as lawyers get a little bit concerned by that. But particularly where there are unrepresented parties, it can be helpful if the tribunal says, look, I think this is the way this is going and gives either the applicant or the respondent the opportunity to investigate an alternate solution and not spend more time, more money, potentially chasing a case that is just not going to get up. Yeah, sometimes Amanda, on the face of it, those types of cases perhaps, you know, can be seen from the outset because you just have a cursory look at all the material and you can obviously form a view. Sometimes it's not that hard to come to that conclusion. But on the other hand, I mean, with some of these other buildings where there are areas where there has to be a compulsory manager, sometimes because one owner doesn't like what the manager's doing or for many other reasons. And sometimes there are people that do come across very well-spoken and articulate and they and they can propagate their case perhaps much better than another person who's not I mean this is when there's no representation I'm talking about and so therefore Mm. I think the tribunal perhaps using that as a way of thinking well on the face of it it could actually also have adverse consequences if there are people that know how to play the the system and are are quite experienced Mm. at being in the tribunal and we all have you know one person that you've come across in your um, management of many schemes that would perhaps fit that bill. Yeah, definitely. I've certainly been before the tribunal in cases where the tribunal member has said, well, isn't this what needs to happen? And it hasn't been what I've wanted to happen. And I've said, no, member, no, this is far more detailed, far more complex. And it's important that the tribunal gives the parties the opportunity to run their case. And the tribunal always will. You, You will have that opportunity. You're entitled to procedural fairness. And if you want to put your case forward and you want to have that opportunity to air uh, all grievances and all evidence, then you'll be given that opportunity. But if it is the type of case where the arguments may be borderline and there is something that rings true about what the member might be saying in terms of a preliminary view, it's important to listen to that, I think, and take that on board. Yeah, definitely, Amanda. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Rena, for another engaging chat. I've really loved this one. We've covered a lot. I am going to send you out into that long list of to-dos. I'm going to head back to some 
homeschooling and <laughs> hopefully. I think I would prefer homeschooling now to doing strata management at the moment. It's really grueling. Oh, my goodness. There you go. Did everybody hear that? So all those strata managers out there who are also homeschooling, I want you to public a comment under this episode and let us know which you prefer. Let's yeah. run a poll. What's better? What's more yeah. painful, strata management or homeschooling? Yeah, well, I'm not. I mean, I'm obviously talking for someone that doesn't have any experience of homeschooling, so maybe I might be biting my words soon next time yeah. I come across this yeah. topic, Amanda. <laughs> yeah, we'll right. take that with a grain of salt. Yeah. Thank you, Rena. <laughs> Catch you next time. Okay, bye, Amanda. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today?